So first of all, if you ask God-fearing anyone's, right? So any, any God-fearing population, right. if the laws of God are higher than the laws of man, and you've seen the Boondock Saints right. movie. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so let's, it's been a while, but yes. I'm going to just couple, and you're laughing because- I didn't know you were going to go there. Saints movie. Everyone is going to go along with the laws of God are higher than the laws of man. Welcome to Crossing Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna, former director of government and international relations of the American Islamic Congress. For this episode, we're going to gripe about polling that is driving us nuts. And frankly, here's the punchline. I think it's dividing us. It's, it's divisive polling that looks like sociology, but it's really, really terrible. I'm going to get on a soapbox about that in just a minute. John is joining me, presumably from upstate New York. John Pinna, how are you? I have my secret layer. I'm your well. Secret, your I'm layer. Well. <laughs> I wish I wish North I actually did have a secret layer. I kind of want a mountain hideaway, you know. I, when I worked in Pakistan and um, there's this area called Kilgit Baltistan in the, in the uh, disputed territories, uh-huh. it's um, and you know built five schools over there, two foot bridges, and a micro hydro project to an our organization called DOS, a development organization for societies in transition, uh-huh. and there literally were were war, warlords that had mountain. Hideaways. It was like it was like a James Bond film. Amazing. And I go, I go, well, what is this guy? What are they what are they doing up there? And they they literally had an army of their own army, their own serfdom. Uh-huh. So one as you well know, I'm I'm adamantly against slavery. And I don't right. mean that I say that in a casual way. I've fought a, a lot against uh slavery and sure. trafficking. In these areas, there's still serfdom. Goodness. It still exists. Where you have these mountain, these, these 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 warlords that own property, and the families till the land, they come down and you know oh and uh, and and fool around with the daughters and have kids by the with by the daughters and it's oh my goodness and, and you know like it, I get very I, I just don't understand it's like, it's how like the divine we have right the monarchy nations. stuff. That we were yeah, we don't about. have the United Nations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't get why we have the United Nations. We have. International development, USAID, we have DFID and all these different organizations, Department of Foreign and International Development, all these different countries, international donor community, and yet they can't just go in and solve this, settle this. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and they just can't fi- fix, say, we're going to stick with this want this thing right now and we're going to help all the rest of the countries, but we're going to eradicate serfdom in Pakistan. Uh-huh. How about that? Why don't we focus on, on that? And this way we can stop – getting young girls impregnated by their warlords and continue this continuing the cycle. How about that? That's you know? crazy. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was my, sorry. that's a little speaking of soapboxes <laughs> back, on, back on track. I, I, I just can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't get my head around it. And I have these images of these young, young girls in my face and, and trying to figure out how to come up with a solution to these problems. And there's no solution, you know, it, it, I'm at least on my, on my thing, you know, from my perspective as effort trying to push it and promote it and trying to make sure that someone out there does something. So, 
If you're not already listening to this fine, happy podcast on crossingphase.com, we're available through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. And uh, we would kindly solicit your review and rating of this program. It only takes a couple minutes, especially in the Apple Podcast Store. It would be helpful to us, um, unless you've already turned us off, in which case, don't care. But, John, you and I... We, we we read li- religious reporting and religious polling about Americans and uh, about the global situation. And I've got a, I've got to pause for you for a minute. We have okay. a shout out okay. from our listeners. Oh, yeah, they yeah, wanted yeah. To, they and and the only reason why um you know I I, I got they wanted them to tip for me to say hello to them at least in some of their native languages and what la- few languages that I know. So you know, and you know, my Russian's very close. So we're getting a uh, heartfelt strasvitia to to our Russian listeners, salam uh, to our to our Turkish listeners, give it a salam to our Afghan listeners out there because yeah. uh, my Afghan brothers and sisters, salam alaikum to all Muslims. But that's a shout out to our our Arabic uh, communities. And then an uh, to our Pakistani, and I don't know Hindi, but we have a lot of listeners in in uh, in India. So, and ninety percent of Urdu is up is is acha acha tike acha. So so you can get by on that. But we just went. We had a little of listeners ask us to do shout outs in in their native tongues, and that's all mm-hmm. I know, other other than uh, uh, a little bit of Italian. So. Um, and uh, but we wanted to say shout out to our listeners and our international listeners out there and a hello to all of our American listeners. So, um, you know, y'all in the south or I, don't, I have no idea. That, that, that's that's, that's for that me, John. Culture. That's for me, John. That's, that's where I say welcome, y'all. Right. OK, yeah, that's what, that's what I talk about. But so I, I appreciate we appreciate everybody listening and we appreciate everybody yes, reading do. that that article that was on our interview that Pass Consulting did for us. Yeah, um, that was cool. And, yeah, I'm really excited that that our listeners are are taking the time to solicit our opinions on things and to build the community focused on religious freedom, engagement, and and keep the dialogue dynamic. Uh, we want to hear from you. Yeah, yep. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, interact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Crossing Faiths, um, and uh, Facebook is slash Crossing Faiths. Um, should be pretty easy to find. Um, so John, last week after we stopped recording, you pitched me a couple articles or we, right? You pitched me both of them. And sometimes you have to understand listeners, uh, John tends to throw me stuff just to get a reaction out of me. He doesn't always know what the reaction is going to be, but you just well, try to, you, you to, like, we both do it to each other. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's be honest. We, we like, there's a little bit of a endorphin situation when we sit there and we find something that we think is is sexy and we pop it to each other and say, is this going to get, is this going to get him going? And when we, so here's the thing. I found this Pew uh, survey and about evangelicals and I've hit you this year with maybe, maybe three to five, no less than three, no more than five surveys from different credible, reliable uh, surveying um, um, and data aggregating entities. And Pew Research is one of them. Gallup is another one that we that we yeah. lean on quite a bit. Um, and you, this one, this one got you going. This one got me going. And and let me preface this by saying I really like, by and large, like Pew. You know, when I was in D.C., went to their offices a few times. I like their data. Uh, I like their approach. You know, met some of the staffers there and the researchers. You know, all it's a very credible, thoughtful 
organization. But then they issue this poll, this report on this survey. Half, here, here's their headline. Here's Pew's headline. Half of Americans say Bible should influence U.S. laws, comma, including 28% who favor it over the will of the people. John, there's so many problems with this survey. So where, where, should, is, where a, should I start? A, I, I'm in, I'm offended. Well, why don't I start? So okay. so that it doesn't. So I. So first of all, if you ask God fearing anyone's right, so any any God fearing population, right. if the laws of God are higher than the laws of man, and you've seen the Boondock Saints right. movie. <laughs> Okay, so let's, it's been a while, but yes, I'm gonna cause couple. And you're laughing because I didn't know you were gonna go there. Saints movie. Everyone is gonna go along with the laws of God are higher than the laws of man, uh-huh. right? And and that that goes along to your secularists or your you know the laws of science is higher than the laws of man. You know whatever right, you yeah. want. If you believe or don't believe, whatever your belief system is, your belief system is gonna probably trump and without making that pop is probably going to take precedent over over the laws of man so you are gonna if you're a moral and and just individual whatever that means to you and you're working for the forces of good right you're gonna take a stand against something that may get you in trouble and there's nothing nothing wrong with that that's a a crisis of conscience right yeah so if you ask i think a bible if you ask a christian you ask a muslim you ask a Hindu, you ask some somebody who's practicing Shintoism, and you ask them, are the laws of God higher than the laws of man? Your answer is probably going to be yes. But it's such a loaded question because if you you might follow the laws of man your entire life and never never cross over to have to make that decision. Right. But your answer is gonna be yes. Right. So the question and it that they to, ask it, it is, ought to be is, yes. It, it, it should be yes for everybody. Are you at, it, at, you could, at least you at a take, theoretical level, right? Right, right. So you could take the Bible out and say, does your you know moral compass is your more influence? Should that be influenced U.S. laws? In you know, or you know, and have and have a will over the people? I would say, yeah, I probably want people to be good. <laughs> you know, I probably want people <laughs> right. to be good. It's it's like when I when I'm arguing with the doomsday cults in Islam. Al Qaeda, uh-huh. we're talking Al Qaeda, the Hezbollahs, the 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 um, oh God, ISIS, and all this stuff, and and they talk about how, you know, they 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 that they're guided by the Quran. Oh no, you're guided by 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 what's driving you, and you're violating the laws of God. Yeah. And they, and they go, well, where is it? I go, well, let's just go with the Ten Commandments. Let's stick. Let's just let's keep it simple. Yeah. How many of those are you violating right now? Right. You know, and so. I think the problem is this is it, it. So I'm. I think the one. The first problem is leading questions, right? Uh, leading questions to get the answer, the prescribed answer you want. Right. And if you, it, it's it, it, the the quote that I like is still some scholars have argued that the Bible heavily influenced the America's America's founders. I'm going. Yeah. Duh. Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay. You know, you know, so, so, so what? I, I don't know if this was meant, I don't know how this was meant to, 
I don't know what the origins of this were, yeah, but I don't know what's productive about this at all. I worked for an institution that did polling, yeah. uh, and uh, a college that did polling, and, and and they're one of the top polling entities in the country. And when I talked to the director, uh, the guy that was in charge of it, he just said, "Whoever pays for the poll gets the questions, gets to engineer the questions, and then once we get the data, we can we can manipulate the data any which way." He goes, "So polls." Polls convince the public to do something, but he goes, it's very, very difficult for a poll to be, to stand on its own if it's not verified by outside sources. So yeah. it can lead, it could lead uh, uh, people to making poor decisions. And the best example I can give that is look at the, look at the 2016 campaign with Hillary. <laughs> I just remember the day of the election or the night of their, her campaign um, manager saying, well, the polls say we're, we won. <laughs> and I just remember the confidence and hubris he had. And I'm going, and how's that guy still got a job right now? I don't have no idea. I, I, I um, heard I heard a pollster justify the 2016 polling again just today on a, a, a recent podcast. I, I won't I won't uh, besmirch the institutions, but they were saying the same thing. They were like, well, the polling was basically right because she did win the popular election. Like, so what yeah. does that apply to a presidential election where the Electoral College matters for crying out loud? If, if well, you can't account for the Electoral College in, in your polling data, you're setting expectations. And Right. I mean, yeah. if I was if I were Hillary, I'd want a refund for crying out loud. Anyway, that's a different well, polling issue. I'm more concerned about this stuff because, look, the, the question is. Uh, how about this? Is your God right? Most of the time. Yeah. It, yes. So I'm going to say you're is, fanatic is, now. Is your God right most of the time? You know, well, we share the same God. Shocker. So I guess, um, but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go with, yeah, because the Quran is a living word of Allah. Mm-hmm. It's speaking to, to me directly, right, oh, as it speaks right. to all Muslims. But we also have to adhere to the Torah, Psalms. And the injal, which we're not going to muddy the water with that right now. So, <laughs> um, but the point is, is, of course, anybody of faith is going to say that their scripture guides them on who they are and what they're about and should be the guiding principle. And if you're talking to evangelicals who are all about conversion, you know, you guys, that's your whole game. Yeah. That's your whole bag of tricks is – you know, listen to the word, read the word, your Bible study. So there's nothing really terrible about what, what they're saying, but the way in which they're presenting the information is is pretty irresponsible, I would say. And, oh, it's you know, the same thing happens to Muslims all the time. Look, it, I just got into their polling, the questions leading up to this Bible, uh, the Bible, the question about... Um, question framed is how much in how much it's a quantity it's an extent right mm. how much influence should the bible have on the laws of the united states the the preceding questions have to do with asking asking the the uh, participants about christianity's increasing influence and it's it's it includes options that are clearly politically driven because it mentions you know, President Trump administration giving Christians more influence. Where just five months ago, or actually October last year, quote, Pew Research Center, same place, 
in U.S., decline of Christianity continues at rapid pace. Right. And we're talking about a 12% decrease in Christian, uh, Christian participation in the last decade. Yeah. And yet you have this poll announcing Americans are split on how much Bible should sway laws. And shocker, white evangelicals mostly say yes. Shocker, atheists mostly say no. I mean, for crying out loud, what does this tell anybody? It just, and it's completely well, undefined. I, this is, this I is my I'm favorite. Have to, this is my favorite have to quote. Slow you, we're in a post. We're, aren't we in a post-Protestant America? <sighs> yes. So, so we talked. So I'm digging on you because right. of our past podcast. You know, you, you had this coming. You know. Oh, so, what's the favorite? Let's hear the favorite quote. Which was the favorite quote? Oh, oh yeah, yeah favorite my quote. favorite quote. Look. At least, to their credit, they at least they put this quote in the text of their, their report, but it's in the bottom paragraph. It's nowhere close to the top. Quote, the survey did not ask people what they had in mind when thinking of biblically influenced laws, period. Right. They didn't define anything for anybody. So if you're predisposed to think highly of the Bible, you're going to say yes. If you're predisposed to reject Holy Scripture, including the Bible, you're going to say no. This yeah. this polling does nothing. It gives you zero insight, and I'm sorry, in a, in a time when we're already polarized, politically, religiously, all over the place, Hugh do- goes and does this kind of polling? It's irresponsible. It's divisive. I'm sorry. I like I don't you know me I don't usually get this this passionately angry about stuff on this podcast. You're usually the cooler. I'm usually the cooler one trying to walk you back, but I'm offended as an American. I'm offended as a Christian. I'm offended as an academic for crying out loud. This is Pew ought to be embarrassed and retract this kind of nonsense. There, I've said it. We said it. Listen, I I don't I don't disagree disagree with you because we've the Muslim community deals with these type of polls all the time where it, well, you can have a great poll like the, the Pew and Gallup both did polls on Muslims back in um, – it was like 2010 to 2013 was sort of a golden age of polling for Muslims. And uh, <laughs> and it was uh, this one, wonderful releases of, um, of Gallup and Pew polls on the American Muslim community and international Muslim communities. So much so that we did this great event called Faith, Money, Power about the American Muslim uh, constituency and where they stood on, on issues and where they were sort of financially and stuff. And uh, when I was at the American Islamic Congress and uh, and they were very thoughtful, but it was sort of th- these multiple entities re-verifying the same information, you know, they yeah. and then correcting each other. It was, it was really cool. P, you know, PB, uh, PR Newswire and all these AP, they did all these wonderful articles on it. Um, and I but I think that that the you don't it doesn't have to be that that extensive. But I think the challenge is, is that if you're going to get it you're going to wade into religion and you're going to ask certain questions they have to substantiate some they have to they have to substantiate some kind of conclusion and right now the information supports no conclusions because the 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 question's so obvious and the question is so leading right so um and that's as someone who's been knee deep in data with this article that I'm writing uh um, and I'm so nervous about getting published right. and getting slammed, to be honest right. with you. Sure. But but um, but uh, 
you know, the, 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 I'm more than willing to say, well, you want to know I made a little mistake. You know, there should have been two zeros instead of one zero on it. But yeah. <laughs> so, but the well, fact you, of the matter is – You're trying to be just, precise as possible and, and contribute to the solving of a problem. Well, This yeah, contributes I mean, nothing to solving any problem. Well, right away, what did we do? I, I, I went online to see if there was anything going on. And there's there's an article that says the majority of Danish Muslims wish to make mm-hmm. criti- criticizing Islam illegal. Minister says integrate relief. Right. So, so, pivot, gonna, so we're going to pivot internationally. We're pivot internationally, but the same subject surveying. Yeah. So it's an 800 page report. The Danish Danish Justice Ministry put together the Justice it, Ministry, yeah, which people, I'm not sure. Well, they're people in charge of immigration in Denmark, right? That's the right. context. So it's immig- so it's, a, in, it's an immigration focused project, right? So I would say you probably want not the people that are enforcement doing the survey, but that's just me. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, and and they they concluded that people in Denmark generally have a higher a high priority for freedom of speech, with one group in particular lagging behind. They're lagging. Yeah. Um, shame shame response, on you, immigrants. Lagging. Yeah. In response, immigration minister Mateus, unpronounceable last name, um, <laughs> urged immigrants who do not respect Danish values Danish values to leave the country. The bottom line is is if you ask a Muslim, particularly a first generation immigrant. Any Muslim, should you be criticizing my, your? Should we be criticizing your religion? And if you ask us any other religion, that the answer is going to be like, I don't really want you to do that right now. You know, right? And, and unlike me, I will say, criticize as much as you want, but then I'm going to push back and I'm going to challenge. But because I'm never on my heels on this in this subject, so you know the, the fact is, is look, if you're going to if you're going to ask any religion, should you be criticized? They're going to say, just let me be. Right. Of course no. they're going to say no. Why would they say yes? Let's just, you know, why? And then they're using this as a justification to say, get out, integrate or get. Well, what, where's, where's, where are they? Where are they on the Swedes? We know the Danes hate the Swedes. Well, and- so, <laughs> do you know, like, where, why don't why, you know? Like I just don't. Well, and, if and you ask a Dane, do you like the Swedes, or should we start? Should Swedes immigrate to this country or keep visiting? They're going to say no. That doesn't mean that they want them. You know, it's an integration problem. That yeah. just means they have a long-standing history of, you know, well, animosity let's, towards. Let's them. set a little context here for this Danish situation. So Denmark's in Europe. In the last several years, European uh, migration to Europe from from Arab and other nations has spiked dramatically, right? So immigration on scale uh, is a complex issue uh, for a lot of European nations. Uh, set aside the, you know, the, the reaction of uh, nationalism and xenophobia over there generally, there's a legitimate capacity issue, right? Um, uh, because of the, And the, social the, services get burdened. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And there's so, a tremendous... It's a mess. You know, Brexit happened as a result as a main sure. result of immigration. So we're not talking about it's just an even handed um, environment where this is a new question because no one's really challenging the issues. No, this is a hot button issue of the day. And instead of having an objective sort of open, I want to say open ended, but thoughtful engagement of of what's going on with the with the different Muslim population in 
with, you know, with, with, with this particular population. Instead of doing that, they ask a leading the, the part, department that doesn't want to deal with immigrants is, right. is running a survey with a question that is going to give them the answer they want. And then the minister says, hey, <laughs> get out. Let- so Let, let's poll let's know. poll a population that we want to uh, feel ill about even more so, and ask a leading question that's going to get that result, and then publish it in an official yeah. government report. Yeah. So you know, I mean, this guy's basically saying that you know, look, we get it. You don't want Muslims in your country. That's fine. Look, I think that that the immigration issue in Europe. I advised it was uh, it was Merkel. This was when when I was at AIC. Uh, with the executive director there, Zainab, we asked, advised Merkel on how to deal with the Muslim population in Germany and gave a very thoughtful list of what needs to be done in order to help with integration. Because, you know, I'm all about participation in government programming right, and sure. and figuring all this stuff out. And she didn't listen to any of it. <laughs> so, you know, so here's the problem is that there's been this influx and then there's been also this lack of action when it comes to the Muslim population. I mean, you know, the French, what do they do? They, they put them in ghettos, they, they, you know, along with everyone else from their colonial possessions. So um, it, it's, it's, it's very, very tough. I think that we're in a tough environment and these type of surveys don't, don't help. No, uh, they, I think they aggravate it. They make things worse. Yeah, they just re- they just it's it's so people say, oh, I have a document now that says Muslims don't want to integrate. Really, what they're saying is, look, you you asked a question about. I mean, if you ask a Muslim, should 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 we draw the profit? The answer is going to be no. Right. <laughs> no. Duh. Well, no one's going to say yes. And look, you know? here's here's the other, here's the part of the problem I have with this. Uh, and gosh, it was probably. I don't know, two or three years ago, uh, got into a little bit of this with, uh, um, a friend on Facebook and he cited something about, you know, polling, you know, some survey results of polling of Muslims, uh, international Muslims. Right. And it was the same, it was the same kind of thing. I forget the specific context. Look, I believe in free speech, Right. And I want free speech to advance. I think it's the better way of governance around the globe. You, you got to get their different paths through different governing and different cultural uh, you know, contexts, but free speech is the way to go in my view. But you know what? You and I, we've grown up in this context where free speech is a core value. It governs the laws of our land, has for a couple centuries now, it's hard fought. It took a long time to get there, but you and I have grown up kind of marinating in, in this, right? It's the, <laughs> we're the fish in the free speech waters here, yeah. right? I don't expect someone who, and again, saying this descriptively, I don't expect someone who uh, is a Muslim who grew up in a non-Western context, who grew up in, you know, maybe a, a you know, a Muslim majority nation to instinctively uh, get and respond to a European sense of free speech and liberalism that they haven't grown up in and maybe have only experienced life in a European country for a year or two. It's yeah. insane to like pinpoint a question like that on people who have, I would have no expectation for them to get there. Do I want them to get there? Sure. 
when I love to have a conversation about the trade-offs between free speech and, relig- and religious freedom and respect of religion? Sure. But this kind of polling is just walking around with sociology poking people in the eyeball and saying, hey, look, that person over there poked you in the eyeball. I'm sorry. Yeah. Am I done yet? Yeah. No, I, I I get it. Look, and, and just getting back to, or just to, for a little bit of clarity, why do Muslims don't like, why Muslims don't appreciate depiction of the prophet? It's not just Muhammad, it's any prophet. So it's, it's whether it's, it's a Jesus, Hazadisa, yeah. Abraham, Abraham, Musa, it doesn't matter who it is. It's the problem is that a prophet beloved of God, beloved of Allah, should transcends into a, a place of honor that allows that, that that's holy and spiritual where the depiction is any, it's like looking at a bright light, you know? And so the idea is that they all turn into this sort of, it's, it's, they're all looked at this sort of guiding light. This, so it's this, this, this of, of morals, values, and, and, and on top of that, um, um, uh, really a spiritual, um, embodiment of, of the the purpose that Allah put in them or, or God, you know, however you want to call. It. And, and that's why, that's why it's an anathema in, in Islam to depict prophets, right. to draw pictures or have, they considered, and it goes into the whole thing of, you shouldn't have this sort of iconography. You shouldn't have, you know, idols, right. something that represents something. So, so everything is words, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's just, that's a belief system within Islam. So you can choose not to respect it, and and go go hog wild drawing pictures and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the best is South Park. You know, South Park <laughs> does to me the best depiction. Anytime they they depict the Prophet Muhammad, it's just this bright light, which is great. <laughs> I I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of clever I think way around it. It's well, it, it's just funny. They have like the Buddha, they have Jesus, they have everybody. It's sort of like I can't remember what they, it, some of the episodes. <laughs> and Muhammad's like always obscured by a light. So. Um, <laughs> But to a Muslim, all of them should be obscured by light. Sure, that's yeah, yeah. that's something I think that people don't understand. Um, all none of them should be depicted. Period. Yeah. Um, but I th- I think if you ask, but if you ask a Muslim, should I draw a picture of the Prophet? The answer is going to be no. Right. And then you're going to be like, see, free speech. They don't like it. You know, like it, it's not that you don't like free speech. It's a belief system. So I, I think what, that. Yeah, what are we going to do about this? Well, should we, you know, what's worse about the Danish thing? Is is their response, which is by a government official, immigration official, basically say, get out. Say, yeah, hey, well, you know what? Was... We, we may, maybe we need to do a little better, maybe we need to do a little better outreach to our Muslim immigrant population to help inculcate our our Denmark values. Nope. Yeah. No, no, no outstretched out. hand. Just get out. Yeah. And well, and then I, the picture in the article is, it's just, it's really great. It's just a bunch of Muslims with their hands in the air. They look very violent. Right. So, right. Uh, so I don't know, right. you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in that crowd. I mean, I don't, I don't see I'm any Muslim. weapons, but they're clearly agitated. Yeah. They're, cle- they're clearly agitated and I don't know what's it's going a, it's on. An AP, that, yeah. It's an AP photo, but like there's no caption. Yeah. There's no captions. And it's, I mean, I'm looking at Sputnik news right now. So, yeah. which, which, which know, is for context. So, you know. Well, it's Russian. It's it is a Russian. It is a Russian uh, news right. outlet that is established by the Russian and owned by the Russian government. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. But yeah, yeah. um, 
So there's and, a little know, bit of the coloring of the lens through here. But, you know, the quotes the quotes in the, you know, report stand out for themselves. Yeah. I just, I, just I mean, here's the thing is we're, we're fighting on so many fronts here. This is why religious freedom, though, it goes back to our thing. This is why religious freedom is where it's at. The worst it's ever been globally. 80, 84% of the world, 70% of the world is religious. 80% above, it's 84%, I think, right now, yeah. is is being persecuted and it's because there's the data just isn't there um the people that are aggregating the data what little data is aggregated is done in a very leading way to serve a political agenda instead of being objective or it's not done in depth enough right and uh and the third thing is is that we you know have all these players uh, the elders uh, of of international religious freedom and their NGOs that have haven't stewarded the, this 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 agenda properly, um, and that's by any rubric, religious freedom is on the decline globally. Yeah. So, um, and that's going to and, and, and that could get worse here in the West as religious participation declines. That's a conversation for another time. But uh, you know, you don't value religious freedom when you don't value religion. Or, or the presence oh, of religion. Here right? it is. Here See? it is. It, it's, it's, you want religion in, in, in you're, you're back in, you're back in this Pew survey now. Well, I'm back on Pew's research. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm telling I'm you, I like, funny. it's, uh, there's nothing good. I, I got to hammer this Pew thing again. I'm sorry. Look, when you talk well, about, when I, you talk I, about Bible I, influencing laws, yeah, you don't even identify what the Bible is. A lot of people don't understand it, especially all the people, you know, all the atheists, not all, a lot of the atheists who are answering this question, uh, they don't understand, you know, it, it, you know, I had this conversation with a atheist lobbyist years ago where I had to explain, look, if you ask someone if they take the Bible literally, and the question is yes or no, that's not, for a Bible-believing Christian, that's really not an intellectually sound question. Because the Bible is made up of 66 books in our Protestant edition. And you got your favorites. <laughs> right? We, right? Well, you got your favorites, but they're different styles of literature. And so some stuff we take literally, but there's a whole lot of stuff that's, that's, that's narrative, that's parable, that, you know, Jesus says, I am, you know, I, you know I'm the way, the truth, the life. He describes himself as a door. Like there's all kinds of figurative stuff from from Genesis to Revelation, you know, now if you, you ask the question, do you believe, you know, the Bible to be sound, true, the word of God, inerrant, that kind of thing? Like you could get to some yes or no questions, but to ask the literal question, yeah, some people take certain things more literally than others, but that's a merit of interpretation that varies across 66 books with a lot of different kinds of literature. And, and which version are you adhering to? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, well, and and what do you want to apply? I mean, is it do you just you know when you talk about U.S. you know the Bible related to U.S. laws, are you just talking about principles gleaned from the Ten Commandments that even you would identify as you know Abrahamic um, or in the Abrahamic tradition, right? And uh, like, or are you or are you trying to advance you know New Testament? stuff that's meant explicitly for the church that you want to impose through U.S. law to everybody. Like, there's a pretty broad spectrum of what the possibilities are that would split even Christians. And Pew goes and does this. It's just irresponsible. Yeah, I think... It's terrible. I, 
It's so. odd because they're such a credible entity. So, right. And exactly. And I don't know if we're gonna if we should hammer them so much, but the, I think that the thing is is that we should, you know, we have we maybe we should reengage them and figure out what's going on. Because I'll just be honest with you, I think that a lot of this has to do with who who paid for this and who engaged them to do it. Yeah. Um, well. Well, even yeah, possible. I, I, I don't. I can. I'm comfortable attacking purposes and results and application. I'm not terribly comfortable attacking motives when I don't know. Uh, but like even even the first paragraph of the report reads, quote, I'm going to read a couple sentences here. The U.S. Constitution does not mention the Bible, God, Jesus, or Christianity, comma, and the First Amendment clarifies that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Still, some scholars argued that the Bible heavily influenced America's founders. They're setting that up as a dichotomy or as a, as a, um, as two I mean, things that can't it's be true. Disputable. These are, these aren't They're, robots that wrote the, the, the declaration of independence in the constitution. Right. You know, like, like, I don't know what they're like. What's the you know, point that, of that setting up that dichotomy? Like both are true. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. Anyway, it's just a terrible, it's really a low point. Uh, I think uh, for for Pew Research, and uh, I think I've got it out of my system now. But I do I, I do want to pivot to my own tribe a little bit here for Christians. Is I want want people to be sensitized here a little bit um, for when this stuff um, is aimed more at Christians, which this is right, and so. Um, Right, so an atheist or agnostic or someone who doesn't believe that the Bible ought to influence U.S. laws, right? They're now viewing Christians, at least half of, <laughs> they're now viewing a whole segment of population in the in the U.S. as a threat to them, right? This is this is how secular folks or kind of atheists are going to view Christians in the U.S. who agree with this question. They now see us as a threat. There's nothing well, unifying it, right? Yeah. So I want to I want to put a pin well, in that because then I want I want people to be sensitized to when the the dart is aimed at us that the same thing is happening to like you mentioned Muslims both here in the U.S. and abroad and I want us to be a little more sensitized to have some empathy for religious minorities um, when we get the same kind of treatment here or similar kinds of treatment not not because we're a minority. Um, but there's this, this kind of antagonistic sense, um, from the more secular atheists who want to do away with Christianity and, and diminish influence and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the same, yeah. the same kind of methods are used here, um, to, you know, against religious minorities all around the globe. Yeah. I, I think that, I don't even think it's leading. I just think they wanted an answer so that they could. They could, you know, I think it's just, they just very, very, because you can't do anything with this data other than come up with a conclusion that they have. Same thing with this, same thing with this Danish interpage justice ministry report. It's clearly they want to say no to Muslims. So just, so let's, so let, we've got a reason now. And, you know, even though, and it's, it's to give them the conclusion, they are, they've already had the conclusion before they had the report. Right. So I think the challenge is, it's like whoever engineered these questions is pretty, 
it's like you said, they're to lead. It's not even leading. It's they already know what the answer is going to be. I, 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 I just wrote an they're article. Man, they're manipulating survey results clearly. Yeah. I mean, I just wrote an article about how data there's no no database on religious persecution globally. And the few that exist are made by non they're made by partial entities. Right. So yeah. so to prove their point. Um, and the, the biggest point that we always say is, you know, Christians are the most persecuted in the world, right? That's the one we always get to. Um, and, and they just, the numbers just, it just, just, it's just not true, but there's plenty of people out there that quote different figures that's that, that say that Christians are the most persecuted in the world. And my take on that is it, it persecution is persecution. That's one, but 80 million Christians may be persecuted globally. But uh, we have roughly about 300 million Muslims persecuted globally, yeah. and so so it that's depends, that, it depends on how whether you count the number of countries or the number of people, right? Right. It's a different well, answer to that question. Well, I, I've read surveys where they say out of 178 different countries on the planet, which I'm I'm, I'm not sure where we are in the countries, uh, 100 and it was like 110 countries persecute Christians, when only 70 countries persecute Muslims. But there could be one persecuted Christian right. in that country. Seriously, so right. there's all different ways to manipulate things. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter who's the most persecuted. Persecution, persecution, and we're not going to address international religious freedom and persecution unless we look at we 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 look at persecution as a global issue. It's I always the best way example I always give is um, violence against women. Yeah. Violence against women is a global issue. Right. It's there's no there's no group anywhere. There's no population. There's no country. There's no religion that doesn't that protects women better than any other any other religion or any other country or any other ethnic group or any. It's all over the world. It's a global epidemic. It looks different. So, it looks different in different places, but it, right. it's global. It's global. I mean, it happens all the time. So the only difference is in Islam, when a Muslim is abusive towards a woman, it's Islam that's the, that, that they, look, they look at. But when a, a, a Christian a, a, a hurts a woman in America or someplace else, they're just a criminal or abusive or, or something. So the, and that, those are where leading questions go, right, in these weird areas to help lead people into a, a – a, a conclusion that's 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 that serves an agenda or serves uh, 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 any kind of agenda. The challenge is is that it doesn't help to stave off the the the, the perpetration of whatever crime it is, right? And so um, the challenge is is that we've got global religious persecution. I don't consider this a persecution of of Christians. I wouldn't consider that with this question on Pew. But what I would consider it is the a catalyst in creating a community of concern around something that doesn't that isn't really an issue which takes away from the real issues associated with evangelicals which is right now you guys are in a civil war essentially on how to apply the the biblical text in real life yeah. in 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 the governmental space yeah. and i think that there's different strata of that within your community and it's a fight um, yeah. Yeah. and okay. you have external components and internal components. Am I, am I wrong on that? No, you're right. Uh, they're internal external components, uh, which is part of my, my, the theme of some of my academic work is that 
you know, part part of the challenge for Christians, um, and you know, frankly, I imagine this extends to uh, Islam as well. Uh, but I'll let you speak for that. Is we don't have uh, wholly inspired text that uh, guide uh, what we call a New Testament church um, specifically towards um, participation in a civic space that is a liberal democracy. Um, you know, all of our examples, uh, while we can glean principles, it's it's an inductive process uh, from Scripture, um, from the Old Testament, New Testament about. Um, people of God engaging civil magistrates uh, as individuals or um, uh, or acting as civil magistrates themselves, but they're all in the context of empires and, and kingdoms, not liberal democracies. And so it's a challenge for us to glean uh, and come to an agreement on, frankly, on, on unity about what principles are applicable, number one, and then which you know, if there seems to be a conflict, which of those principles uh, trump the other principles? And so uh, you, you add that uh, imprecision um, on on top of all sorts of external influences like Western individualism and rumors about uh, tax policy limiting church participation um, in the in the political space. Um, all that stuff and many many other factors influence. Um, uh, Christians who are trying to figure out how to participate in a liberal democracy as Christians and and with the church, uh, and yeah, you're right. There's kind it's of the civil same war going it's on. It's the same in Islam. It's the same in Islam. What, all these guys. So let me talk about how to apply Islam in a modern context in government. There's modern governments right now that have been applying that that are Islamic republics. They're theocracies essentially. The challenge is, is that anytime they've ever existed, previous part, the 20th and 21st century has been in a monarchical situation, which has been a caliphate. So it's like, you know, the Ottoman Empire, right? The Abbasids and all these other guys that flew around, the the Mughals. And and the challenge, the Fatimid, I got to shout out to the Shia brothers. So the challenge is, (laughs) I have to, because they'll be like, you didn't mention the Shia. Okay, so... Um, I just staved off a whole storm. So um, John's constantly navigating the different sects within Islam. I know. I, I was. I had. I like. I spelled Corona wrong. I spelled it. Some. I can't. Remember. And then I got this. I got savaged by one of my guys. He goes, "Is there a reason why you're spelling it wrong? Like, is there?" You know. I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Are you?" And I go, "No. I just. I. I, I have a." My ongoing battle with autocorrect means that I'm, you know, it, it's, I've spelled it so many times incorrectly that now it's autocorrecting wrong. You know? Right, so right. I can't. Um, right, so the it, challenge with it learned, and, and, it learned wrongly from your use. Right. And, and that's my phone all the time is doing that. And then I'm doing all this foreign language stuff. That's the other thing, too. So it could, oh, you know, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So AI is really great. I have no idea unless- this. AI is really a really powerful stuff unless it's model for behavior is is errant <laughs> frequently errant so what here's here's something that's really interesting is that in most secular governments in in, in that happen in muslim countries end up being totalitarian regimes right. so that's why secular governments aren't looked at as favorable so in the west they're like well you need to have a secular government saddam hussein 
Let's just take Saddam Hussein and Mubarak in Saddam Hussein in in, in Iraq, obviously, yeah. and then Mubarak in Egypt. Those are secular governments that oppress their own people right. in horrible ways, yeah. horrible ways. So the challenge is, is that when you say talk about secular government, Muslim countries right after that they go, well, it, it's something. The examples that we can go that we go to are not. The most favorable governments in the world uh, for us. They, if they, they, it didn't work out so well. And then you look at something like Afghanistan, which says they're an Islamic republic, but then is integrating, you know, religious freedom. So Article One, Islamic Republic, Article Two, that will they'll respect and and protect religious minorities. Article Seven is or six, I can't remember if it's six or seven. I always forget. Is UDHR that they're adhering to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It's they're muddling through this now since 2006, you know, so let's, (laughs) let's, you know, it's not 200 years of history. And I always say there's no shortcuts. There's always, there's to a democracy there. You have to go through all the growing pains that everybody goes through a civil war and there has to be figure out a state's rights versus a highly centralized government and all these different things. So I think that the challenge is, is like when you're trying to interpret people are going to go with what they're comfortable with and what they're comfortable with governmental wise is going to be their moral, their morals and, and values that they grew up with. Right. And it's OK to be culturally Christian or culturally Muslim. Um, I just wrote an article about cultural Muslims who grew up in a Islamic environment, but may not be practicing and may not really be Muslims in this in the true sense of practice. But they're cultural Muslims and they can't get away from it. Yeah. So you can't have a put take a cultural Muslim and say, okay, well, we're going to send you to Japan and we want and you're you're good, you're culturally competent. competent. Yeah. They're not because they don't come from that background. Right. I, I I always argue that cultural Muslims or Muslims in general are Abrahamic and therefore it doesn't take that much of a shift to understand a Judeo-Christian environment. Sure. It's the problem when you have leading questions like this right. that that create the separation. And we had a dialogue like this on uh, I had a dialogue on on, on Facebook with uh, one of the trolls that 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 hit us that hit uh, on our on our Facebook. He, you know, he said, "Ah, Takia, Muslims can lie because of Takia, because which is yeah. if you're a minority, Takia is very specific. You're a minority." If you're going to go to the mosque or go be in a community, you may have to lie uh, and and practice do other practices. Yeah. You might have to pretend to be another religion. It's no different than the Jews in 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 uh, in during the the Inquisition. Uh, or I have friends. I have friend a friend of mine who's a Jew, a Jew from Mexico, and she had to practice Catholicism but practice Judaism secretly and christians yeah. have to do that some in some areas i mean yeah. all religions have had to pretend to be something house, house churches house churches in china house churches in iran yeah and so he the, the, they kick, kick back and he's like well you know muslims have a license to lie i go well liars exist in every religion how about that you know so let's just start with that um and if you don't muslims don't need a, a, a any kind of and they don't need any kind of just of Quranic justification to lie. Yeah. It, it, Muslims lie just like any other group. Um, you know, ISIS, they're a bunch of liars. Because they're human beings. Yeah. Well, they're a bunch the of liars. They're a bunch of liars. Well, it, they, and, they're, they're, they're pretending to be Muslims and they're lying. Right. But the fact – and they violate all the tenets of Islam. So they cease to be Muslim. Right. I, I said – I'll say it. But the fact is is that Taqiyah is very, very specific. And so – 
Look, I went to the 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 uh, God. What is it called? I do it all the time when I go to a Sunni mosque. I pray Sunni style because I've been harassed anytime I go to a Sunni mosque. If I slot out and and I do it, I pray uh, Shia style, and and so I just go in and I go, okay, I'm just gonna, and it's and there's no skin off my back doing that. That's not necessarily takia, uh, because I'm, I'm not. I don't think that I'm going to have ill effects. I'm going to. My life is in danger. I'm just. If I go to a Catholic church, I, I I'll I'll go and I'll sit in the pew. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, okay, you know it's not a big deal. You know, I'll ask, what am I supposed to do in this in this case? When I went to the the evangelical church, they were they go, do you want one of the flags to invoke the Holy Spirit? I go, ah, not not not, not thinking, not feeling thank that. You, but, thank oh, you, but, thank you. I'll probably pass. <laughs> you know, but if you got a meal, you got a sandwich in the back room. I'm all about it. Right. So right. I, I just feel like. If we're in this situation, you know, how, I, I do think that there should be some pushback. Did you get Did you get into the tweet and did you Did you respond or I did not get any response from the Pew folks when I when I tweeted it. Um, but we'll see if we get any response from this uh, from this podcast. I I just I'm embarrassed for them, but man, well, and 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 my, and my problem is look, I mean, you see this coming from a lot of different directions, you, you know, the Danish government, uh, which presumably in this era is fairly nationalistic. And then you've got Pew Forum, which is, you know, at the height of what American intellectual culture with, you know, in the context of sociology and surveys. Uh, I think if you're interested in contributing in any way to, um, a national culture that's being polarized, uh, this kind of nonsense cuts against, you know, word, you know, concepts like assimilation because you're making the, you're making people, uh, you know, scared of each other. Uh, and it's just irresponsible. And, you know, I'm well, not going to, I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to take kindly to that. Well, we ju- we're just asking the questions and putting the numbers out there, blah, blah, blah. Nonsense. Well, all, all surveys are trying this. to get to something. Um, I so. think they did this. To, I think they did this to get you going. I think that that was the real end result. <laughs> they had. Off, they let's had take off Hawkins. The, yeah, they said let's. We need. We need a, a mouthpiece for this, and we're not able to do it. So it's you know they're held back because they're you know supposed to be nonpartisan and non really. Maybe they. Maybe this was a meant specifically meant to agitate you. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, my friend. Before we go, uh, I know this is still in the in the season of Ramadan. How's it going for you? You doing all right? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm. You know, it's uh, Ramadan was really tough back way back in. I remember in 2012, 2013. It was right in August. It was in July. <laughs> you know, it moves with a and and it goes. It's so it's been going from like August into July into right. June. Because of the lunar calendar every year, and the days were so long, it was like nine o'clock when the sun would go down. And you're like, ah, um, it's it's actually not bad. This this is an interesting Ramadan. I've been working on this article, and and uh, but it's tough because a lot of thoughtful interfaith and multi faith um, tidings from different groups, and then on top of that, but I think the Muslim community is suffering much like all these. I mean, you guys had Easter. I know the Jewish community, they just had um, uh, Passover and it's, it's just so tough because you can't assemble. Right. Um, yeah. And usually I, 
this is the, you know, I sit with my Sunni and Shia brothers and sisters and I'll go all over the place and, and engage. And, um, and most of it is sort of marauding and looting of meals, but I, I go see my godchildren and hang out and, and we do all this stuff. And it's just sad because we can't enjoy those moments. And I don't know what's, I don't, I don't know if it'll ever get back to, I don't know if it'll ever reset back to where it was. Um, and that is probably one of the most disturbing things, but spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, I've, uh, I've never been as fitter than I am right now, only because there's the isolation and reflection that's happening is, is profound, you know, and, uh, um, you know, I just I just had a friend of mine ask me, she was like, can you just walk me through? We were chatting. Her daughter was asking me about Ramadan and said, well, I learned this. I learned that. I go, it's is it's Islamic Lent because she's Catholic. I go, it's Islamic Lent. <laughs> what, who, what are they teaching you? You know, right. I was like, you know, it's just it's, you fast during the day, you know, set up and, you know, we walked through it on our Ramadan episode yeah. and we were chatting back and forth and, and I, I think that it's, there's some thoughtful conversations happening, even though it's all in the first and second dimension, but this, our three dimensional interaction is really, really tough right now. Yeah. Um, look, look at us, look at us. I mean, we wanted to, you know, one of the things I want to do is hop on a plane and come and see right. you and got a couple shows and that just got all shut down. And, uh, and I, and I know that we're going to be doing a lot of engagement, but it's all remotely right now, which is, it's hurting everybody. And so I, I feel for all faith and non-faith communities, you know, just friends that want to hang out. Um, my parents are having, uh, they just had a, it was funny last weekend, they invited everybody over and had uh, set up lawn chairs and, uh-huh. and, uh, and the card tables and was having uh, like a coffee talk out on the lawn. <laughs> you know, like, and, you know, they're, they're teachers. So they, you know, they, they know how to space students. So they don't cheat. Right. So it's just like a big classroom outside. <laughs> I mean, they're retired now, but um, but I think that there's some interesting ways in which people are interacting with each other. But it's it's I, I I'm it's sad. I think that that people can't assemble, and uh, and I think for faith communities as well as social communities and and, and other communities that are out there, it's it's just hard on everyone, um, and that's. That social that social aspect is is lost. There's something missing out of everybody's lives. So I appreciate you asking. I I mean I I know that you're going through a tough time. I know your 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 wife works in the medical industry. So how is she? And and uh, how is she's you good. Know, Things in Tennessee right at the moment uh, seem to be opening up a little bit. She actually went to her clinic for the first time. Uh, at the recording of this yesterday. Um, so this week she'll she'll go to the clinic a couple times. Uh, um, but they're not not ramping up uh, immediately, um, but it seems to be you know light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe a little slight return to normalcy. But it's the first time she's been back here in a clinic in over a month for sure. So she was she was excited. Um, so how is how is you know are you guys what what do you, what's the what's the evangelical solution to this to not being able to assemble because you guys are all about evangelic evangelizing. I mean, have you? How is the machine coming that 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 beams the Christian God directly into non-Christians' brains? How is that coming along? <laughs> that, 
That's funny. Well, most uh, most uh, churches have gone uh, that have the capability or soon became, you know, ramped up pretty immediately uh, some form of electronic broadcast, so online broadcasting. So they've done, uh, you know, some, I think you've seen from the earliest couple of weeks when this was happening, everybody tried to, uh, you know, recreate every possible element of their service digitally. Oh my God. And I think that overwhelmed people. And so I, this is somewhat anecdotally, but I think what I've seen, uh, the trend line was after a few weeks, they worked, they ended up doing, uh, bare minimums of maybe a bad term, but they tried to focus on what, what are the really crucial elements that we need to have here, for this remote service. And so that I think actually increased the quality uh, because you're not trying to recreate everything from a live experience into the virtual experience. You're thinking you're, you're seeing, okay, what do we really need to have happen? I mean, do you really need to have the, 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 the people that while the ceremony sermons going on, the people that are in the back stealing the food, do you need to recreate that? Right. Is that, well, well is that really necessary? Right. Well, you things know? like, uh, like for, for musical worship, you know, our church, you know, frequently has up to eight or 10 people on stage. Um, right. and they tried to do that the first couple of weeks. And after, after a few weeks, they ended up, it's just, uh, you know, a, kind of a not a it's more than a trio but it's either a trio or or a foursome that are that are uh, leading the music um and that's a lot easier to pull off um uh, in a in a virtual space and uh so yeah i think a lot of pastor sermons have gotten about 10 minutes shorter um and uh, i think people recognize that they've got you know they're people watching from their homes and uh it's a little more a little more casual um for good and ill ways uh, but they've you know people have got kids running around there's no <laughs> you can't really send your kids down the hall to childcare right uh so i think the services uh, have gotten a little a little better some churches even around here they're doing uh drive-in worship services so you can drive your car into the parking lot and they have some kind of some kind of setup um and, you know, you got to think ahead a little bit, right? So we're going to do uh, the Lord's Supper this coming Sunday. And so, you know, this past Sunday, we got the announcement to, you know, have your have your bread and juice ready um, uh, or crackers ready uh, for next Sunday. Uh, so we're going to take communion together remotely. Uh, so people are adapting. And uh, there have been really a really good outreach. So a lot of there have been volunteers and church staff who've, uh, you know, they just get out get out the list and they, they call people frequently. They email people, check in. Um, we've had, uh, um, uh, both the children's minister and, uh, and some, uh, Sunday school teachers drop off little goodie bags for the kids. Right. So even, even the Sunday school teachers who, who miss, uh, miss the little munchkins, they'll put together little, little goodie bags with a craft and maybe some candy or something and drop it off at oh, people's doors. Cool. So, yeah. So life goes on. People have adapted and have been pretty creative about stuff, but, uh, um, you know, we're talking about ramping back up and churches trying to figure out what that looks like and what kind of health protocols they need to uh, need to set up. And uh, so people are navigating it well, but I think it's I've seen a lot of creativity. I'm just I, I've been egging my my friends into different prayer times. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, I'm like every Muslim. So I just, you know, I pray or sell it out in any which way, you know, and, uh, although I, I, as, as an Ishmaeli Muslim, I, as, or Ismaili, depending on who you talk to, I, you know, I have a particular prayer cycle that I do. Right. But, um, 
I've been egging my Sunni friends in because I would t- I would tell them, oh, I'm, I'm just I'm doing a Ramadan Fajr Bakr. And so the morning prayer, Sana Fajr is what it's called. And Abu Bakr is there is the the um, uh, the first uh, Imam Khalif of of Islam, right? He right. he was the successor to uh, Hazrat Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family. And and then and then there was a succession of imams, right? And so the four schools of jurisprudence come from Abu Bakr. And 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 that's really where the Sunni line goes, right? And the Shia line comes from Hazrat Ali. We talked about this in one of our episodes. So what the the difference between Sunni and Shia, right? Um, did we talk about this? I think we did. Yeah. Yeah, so you can reference it. Um, you know, it's like I could teach you it in three minutes, right? right. And then, uh, um, so we'll have to reference it and, and, and see how, where people go with it. But the bottom line is, is that so? So I always joke that you know they're worshiping Abu Bakr, which is not true. It's totally not true. Right. It's just a right. joke. So I was like, I was doing my Fudger Bucker, and then I uh, and right away, at, you know, two, at four in the morning, I'm getting the kickback. Fudger Bucker? Question mark. What are you talking about? What's going on? So I'm just I'm, I do the joke to get them into communicating with me, you know, and chatting at, at the morning. There's this big brouhaha at morning prayer, and uh, and so there was a little chat group that was going Fudger Bucker, and they're like, you know, that they're, they're using it because uh, you know in, in in the Christian you know in, uh, Christian faith or or uh, like Catholicism, you know, you pray to Saint Anthony and all these different saints. So I was just making this sort of thing of like, you know, Abu Bakr is like a saint. So you're praying to him all the time oh, and no. doing all this stuff. And so it, it it created a really nice brouhaha where I had a bunch of my friends just ping me back and started, you know, what, what what's a Fudger Bakr? What's that? What is going, you know, and, uh, and, and, and it was just one of these things to egg them into spending some time with me. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, well played. So it's. Yeah, you know, it's every once in a while you got to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, hashtag Fletcher Bucker. Hope maybe maybe that'll 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 catch on online. But I appreciate you taking the time and asking the question, and uh, we appreciate everybody listening. And thank you, Matthew, for everything. You know. Likewise. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show. Consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting CrossingPhase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at MTHawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at TheVajraTemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com. <laughs>